Are you living a Swiss cheese life? <laughs> Let's start the new one. <laughs> what was that? What was that? What? <laughs> Swiss cheese kind of life? Yeah. All right. Well, let's drop the needle on that one. <laughs> All right, cue the music. What's up, guys and gals, and welcome back to another episode of Digging Deeper, a Bible study series brought to you by Broken Record Ministries. Give you the weird little, like, I don't know why I did that. I don't know I, either. I, I twirled like my a, finger, actually. It was like a little <laughs> wand. <laughs> yeah, weird. I thought you were winding him up. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> For those of you that don't know us, I'm Carl. I'm Micah. I'm Sonny. I'm Mike. That went different than I wanted it to. I was going to introduce you guys. Now it got like silent and weird. So I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> we'll cut that part. Well, Let's do it again. Michael no, no, just it. took off with it. He, yeah. I was just well, like, okay. Like, like, sometimes so, he goes that way. Sometimes he comes <laughs> that way. So. I was getting ready to introduce <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm losing control already. <laughs> it's been one of those mornings. Gone rogue. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this Bro- is. Broken Records Gone Rogue. Yeah, that's all right. It's fine. You guys got anything you want to share before we dive into to our topic today? Why does everybody look at me? You're right across from me. So oh, it's just, oh, well, it, it was, was the most comfortable. All angles. Again. It was just like a force field. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really, but if you have a loved one out there that requires medical attention that needs a CPAP, perhaps, it's very important that you get tested. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Uh, well, on another subject. <laughs> yeah, some behind the scenes stuff there, folks. Uh, um, so... I, I kind of just want to go at, you know, everybody's struggling. Like, everybody's been struggling lately. And, I mean, I see it on social media. I see it throughout, you know, um, my day at work. Um, you know, just people at the gas station, at the grocery store. I mean, they just kind of look like they're they're drawn out. They're rugged. You know what I mean? I noticed that, too. And I mean, it's, it's all around. And I mean, I think just everybody's going through battles and, you know, different things. And I think it's hard, you know, that there's a lot of these people, they don't have people to reach out to them, you know, but they don't have like our little group that we have and, and, you know, we can always rely on. And it's, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> you know, like you want, you want to try to try to help somebody, but then, you know, especially in that kind of state of mind, how do you approach it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you say, Hey, I see the pain that you wear in your eyes. You know what I mean? Like, how do you say, Hey, I see the struggle you're going through, even though that you haven't said anything, but you know, because if you do that, then, People will get defensive, you know, they'd be like, I ain't going through nothing. I'm good. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But, you know, the look in their eyes, the way that they carry themselves, the way that they, you know, they even just glance at the ground whenever you make eye contact, you know, it's, uh, it's different. It's different now. I've, I've noticed it a lot here, probably the past 
little over a week. And, uh, you know, I just, I hear a lot of stories of on social media of, of people struggling and not knowing what to do, not knowing where to turn. And, you know, the biggest thing is, is I know maybe you might not read the Bible. Maybe you might just listen to a podcast. Maybe you might, you know, read a couple articles or listen to an audible or, you know, whatever, but, you know, actually get in the word figure it out, you know, figure out why you're being the way you are, you know, understand yourself. Understanding God makes you understand yourself. I think, I don't know. That was kind of just kind of one of my go arounds. Cause it's just, man, I see it everywhere. I hear it everywhere. You know, I've talked, Micah, a lot the past couple of years, and I I noticed a, a very deep heaviness hit around 2020. It, it was different. There was like there was there was a shift, and the way things were before is completely different than the way things have been since. And it seems like that's gotten more extreme the past few months. I think there's a sifting. I don't know what it's like in other countries, but I know here it seems like there's definitely a sifting happening. And uh, I don't know. We've 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 created a lot of separations between ourselves and our eternal Father, and I think He's tearing those separations down, giving us the opportunity to to return. And it's not comfortable. You know, comforts what got us into this situation. Comforts what got us separated to begin with. And I think He's removing our comfort, our comfort zone, and trying to draw us home to him. And the, the, the less we listen, the, the more uncomfortable it gets. And I'm not saying it gets like, you, you know, you, you draw close to him and everything goes away and everything is peachy keen then. Cause we are on a battlefield. We're on a spiritual battlefield and you know, the enemy, the enemy doesn't want to lose you either. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I think the, the only thing you really can do is just show, show the, the love and kindness of Christ, you know, yeah. show them that there is, there is a place where they can get the support they need, and that's in Him. Yeah. He He is the support they need. And uh, until they exhaust all the efforts that they put into finding alternatives to Him, I don't know that we can do anything to fix it. We can just we can show the way. That's that's our job. Our job is to be a lighthouse and show the way home. Yeah. If, you know, it's their job to take the steps into to walking on that path. We can't walk it for them. I think it's important to be obedient to to Christ. I mean, if God prompts you to send a text message to somebody or to send a card or to even a phone call, we don't do that a whole lot nowadays, but <laughs> even a phone call that, you know, reaches out. There's been times I've been on the phone with somebody and the response has been, man, it made such a difference in my life. It's been so encouraging. And I'll look down after the phone call is done and it'll be like three and a half minutes. Yeah. I'm like, it was such an encouragement to them. And I only talked to him for about three minutes, three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. Didn't take a whole lot of my time, but it made a big difference in their life. And we never know how God is going to use that note of encouragement, that phone call, that text message, whatever it is that if God prompts you to do something. Maybe it's just, you know, sending him, you know, sending him an encouragement note, encouraging note and saying, Hey, I'm praying for you. Like, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. you don't have to go into the details of, Hey, I know you've been struggling, but just. You know, I'm yeah. praying for you today. Well, I can tell you from personal experience how how impactful and important yeah. that can be. Just Absolutely. a simple message, you know, when he was really sifted a few years ago, when he was really sifting me hard, 
you know, and, and opening, opening my eyes, opening my eyes up to the sense that I had put on myself, the, the pit that I had dug for myself, mm-hmm. right. That I needed, I needed to wake up and I needed to, to, to reach out and take his hand to get out. Yeah. It was a tough process, man. It was, it was rough. Yeah. And there was a point there where I felt, I felt almost forsaken. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I remember sitting on my, sitting on my chair in my living room, just in tears, just, just feeling ripped to pieces. And I remember just begging him, just like looking up to the ceiling and begging him, I need something. I need to know that you're, that you're here. And I need to know that you still love me, that I'm still yours. And it was minutes later, a friend that I've never, never actually met face to face sent me a message on messenger. And I opened up the messenger thing and they're like, you know, I was praying and I felt like the spirit was telling me that I needed to tell you that you're chosen by him, that, that, that he loves you. And that, you know, when you, when you get through the, the valley, whatever valley you're in, you know, there's a mountaintop experience waiting for you on the other side. It was just that perfect timing yes. that they happened to be praying and that they happened to have me placed on their heart and they were obedient to send that simple yes. message that to them was nothing. Yes. Right. To them, it was nothing. It was a, it was a 30 second message they sent. But for me, the timing, it was everything. It's totally. exactly yeah. what I needed in that moment. It, it was what I needed to hold on to. Yeah. I think sometimes we get the fear. Well, you know, I don't know them like that. I don't know them very yeah. often to send them a, that kind of kind of kind of weird to send a message. We feel weird about it, but maybe it's exactly what God wants us to do, right? Because it's going to be an encouragement to both sides, you know. Because when yeah. it's encouragement to them and encouragement to you, because you're being obedient, right? And God, God will reward reward that. That happened to me just a couple of weeks ago. Well, Mike sent that, and it was and it was in a it wasn't directly to me. I don't think because I think it was in generic to the group. <laughs> But it was a response and I was like, it's kind of in a funk. I was kind of quiet. And then I was like, man, I needed that. <laughs> you know, it was, I was like, going to say, that. I don't think I've ever seen you reply. Right. Messages. Right. It's like, <laughs> well, that's a different, yeah. that's a different I've, subject. I have my settings weird. So my oh. responses only go to the directly to the person that sent it. Oh, okay. And so I need to ch- get in and change my settings so that it will go to the whole group. But. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about the coughing guys. I thought I was over this. That's all right. I was going to cut it out, but since you mentioned it, now it's <laughs> weird. Might as well just keep it in now. <laughs> Sorry about the coffin. What coffin? <laughs> there was no coffin. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's important. Being obedient to the, to the spirit. What, where, where the spirit's leading you, what he's leading you to do. And that really kind of applies to what I want to talk about today. So our topic today, it's the, it's the fourth and final part in the study series that we've called Foundations. And I actually want to take a couple minutes here on the A side of the record to kind of briefly summarize what we've already talked about since this will be the final part, mm-hmm. what we've already kind of learned and, and, and discussed in the first three parts. So when part one, we got into Matthew seven and specifically the point at which Jesus warns us about false prophets and he directly links the concept of false prophets or false teachers to those who are standing in conflict with the will of God. And he calls that working lawlessness or working at being lawless against the commandments of the Father. So Jesus seems to directly connect being in the will of the Father with seeking to obey him, right? Obeying what he, what he places upon you to do, what he tells all of us to do in his commands or what he tells you to do individually, right? And the false prophets act against his will in that. And then he follows that up with the, the metaphor of, of the foundation, building on the foundation. And what we kind of came to was that you know, spiritually speaking, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's our chief cornerstone. So he's what aligns us, sets us in alignment with the plumb line so that we're not, that we're not skewed or, or off center. 
the foundation itself, the blueprint for the foundation is are his teachings, what he teaches us to do and how he teaches us to apply it. And building properly on that foundation is applying those teachings to our life. Right. So if we if we have a proper foundation built in the right way and alignment with the chief cornerstone and building with the materials that we're told to build with and the way we're told to build, then we're on the right track. Right. We're, we're built upon the rock. But if we deviate in any way, then we're not. We either have a cracked foundation or we're not on the right foundation at all. In part two, we got into Matthew chapter five, where he warns about working against the law again. And uh, specifically says that he didn't come to undo even the smallest pen stroke of the law and the prophets, not until heaven and earth has passed away and all is accomplished. And as we record this podcast, we're still recording from the same earth that he said that from. So clearly that part of what he said hasn't occurred yet. And not all prophecy has occurred yet. So, so there are things yet to be fulfilled, right? Now, the way it's applied, yeah, we can get into the, to the weeds on, on how certain commands are applied and whether they apply to us. In, in the situation we're in, I'm, it's not my my objective on this 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 study particularly to get, to get into every argument on does this specific command apply to me. That's not my point. My point is how you handle the commands themselves. Do you have a dismissive attitude toward the commandments, like we referenced from Andy Stanley, where he just wants us to unhitch entirely, or do you do you respect what the Father says and you're you're striving as best you understand to apply His expectations to your life? That's what Jesus is talking about there. He's saying, do you have a dismissive attitude about the Father's expectations for you, or are you genuinely striving because you have a willing heart and you have a desire to obey him? That's what he's talking about there. And he says that if you, and he follows that up by warning that if you if you have a dismissive attitude about even what you consider to be the least important part of the law, you'll be considered least in the kingdom and vice versa. And then I think we followed that up and that, that part with Matthew chapter 22 to address... Uh, to address the the argument that, well, he reduced it down to just two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And in his own words, those two commandments are quoted from the law itself. And in his own words, he says that on, on those two commandments hang all other commands and prophecies. So, so everything else, the whole word of God is suspended from those two commands. He's not saying that those are the only two left. He's saying that they essentially categorize everything that's said. So it's either categorized as loving the father or loving your neighbor. And yes, those two concepts are related, but that's what suspends everything that comes out of his mouth. It's, it's related to how we love him or how we relate to our neighbor. It's what, how you can categorize everything in his word, pretty much. And then in part three, we got into the role of the Spirit in building our foundation. So how is, how is the Spirit going to lead us? And specifically in part three, we talked about Ezekiel chapter 36, where he talks about the Spirit being in the New Covenant dwelling with believers in the same way that that the spirit did in 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 individuals in the past like king david like like uh, elijah like as he like the prophets but it's just he's he's he mass indwells all of us we all have access to that indwelling and that leading and that guidance by the spirit and he says that the spirit leads us to obey the father so what ezekiel says is is in agreement with what jesus says and vice versa jesus is in agreement with what the prophets say which is what we should expect if we find deviation, if we find something where we think that something Jesus says disagrees with the prophets, then we're probably reading him wrong. Yes. Not probably are. We are yes, reading absolutely. him wrong. If he's not in agreement with what the Father has already revealed through his servants, the prophets, then we're reading Jesus wrong because we know that Jesus isn't false. 
and that would make him false if he's in disagreement with what was already revealed. So we have to make sure that we're reading him in the right way. So if our doctrine or theology twists the words of Jesus around to disagree with what the Father has already said, then our doctrine or theology is wrong. Yes. We have to align with what, what Jesus says and make sure that our understanding is aligned with what the Father says. Right? We have to untwist things. And that brings us to today. I want to close out this, this study series on, on going a little further in the leading of the Spirit into that, that concept of obedience. And I just kind of want to talk a little bit about holiness. What does it look like to, to live a holy life? Waiting for the realization to hit. There's holes. There's holes. Do you get it now? Yeah. Swiss cheese. Ah. Yeah, there it is. There it is. You live in a Swiss cheese life. So I want to read something from Peter real quick before we, before I open this conversation up to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> now it's done. Okay. Now, now it's marinating a little bit. So Peter tells us in his first letter somewhere. 16. Trying to decide where I want to start. I hate to say it, but is this one of those bookmark situations? Sort of, yeah. Okay. I'm going to start from 12. I was trying to decide if I want to start in 13 or 12. It was revealed to them that they were, so I'm sorry, first, first Peter chapter one, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's where I'm going to stop. So what does that mean? What does that mean to be holy as he is holy, to live a holy life like we were called to live? First off, what does the word holy mean? Set apart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be set apart? Because there's a lot of ways to be set apart, right? Yeah. And a lot of ways to be set apart that aren't necessarily good. So what does it mean to be set apart in a proper biblical righteous way? Well, I think we first have to say that holy is not perfect. Because I don't believe holy is perfect. For us, it may for not us, be right. for him. His, I would his say his standard definition. of holiness is absolutely perfect, yes. but right. our ability to attain that is In is our lacking. standards. Yes. You know what I mean? Like not, I wasn't meaning, like because I knew what you meant. a lot, of, a lot of people think holy is living a holy life is living a perfect life without flaws, without, you know, um, sin at all completely. You know, we're not capable of that. We're not, we're not capable of that. So living a holy life to us is just striving every day to find another way to be closer to him. Whether it be from his word, whether it be from, you know, spending time with others, doing a good deed to, you know, helping somebody out, being that outreach hand for somebody, or maybe it's like you said, just a text message, you know, um, some way to show his light. That's that's our standard of holy in my eyes. 
I mean, it's just one day better and better and better. I think of what James said about uh, if you're a friend of the world, then you're an enemy to God. I think being holy is being able, is doing your absolute best to follow the law, the teaching of Jesus, and to stand out as not part of the world, not behaving like you are of the world. You may live in it, but you don't have to be a part of it. In my mind, that's where being holy is. Whether I'm correct or not, I don't know, but that's what I think of when I think of holiness, other than the perfect holiness of our Father, which I could never achieve. The goal in our life is perfection. Will we ever attain that? No. But the goal is perfection. You know, that's that's where he is, and that's where we should be striving to be, understanding that that's where grace comes in. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just a license to do whatever we want. However, it is understanding that when we do fail, we do have that that grace and that that compassion that God's not sitting on in heaven with a baseball bat ready to beat us over the head right when, every time we mess up so it's not that type of deal but it but it is our our goal um Carl will probably say not this again but I use this example a lot when my when my son was moving from flag football to tackle football that was a big deal for for us as a parent you know especially for my wife who doesn't want her son to get you know he wasn't a big guy at the time still not a big guy but um the coach comes out, they had a meet and greet with all the parents and coaches and try to make this quick. But the, the coach comes out and says, we will be perfect in every single thing we do. We will win every single game. We will not drop passes. We will not fumble the football. We will be perfect in every single thing we do. And as a dad, I'm sitting there thinking, well, good grief. This is not the NFL, buddy. What are you talking, you know, relax a little bit. This is, this is a little league football here, you know, and I'm starting to get kind of, kind of like, okay, let's, let's let, you know, my wife's like, she's kind of like, we're kind of like nature. Like, was this a bad decision or not? But he proceeded to say, but I know we won't. This is fun. I'm going to teach them the fundamentals. And in teaching them the fundamentals of the game, they're going to drop some passes. They're going to mess up. They're going to lose some football games. But our goal is to win every single game. And I thought about that in our in our walk with Christ. Our goal is to be holy like he is holy. To be in that mindset that we are walking in the spirit and we are walking with God every step of the way. Are we going to succeed every single time? Of course not. We're going to fail and we will fail royally many times because we still have that flesh nature. But the goal is that that perfect to be perfect as he is. And so I think that's our goal in life. Are we going to attain that here? No, not until we get our glorified bodies will we right. attain that. But the goal is that. So so we it's a, it's that constant reminder in our mind. I think to to be holy means that it's that constant reminder in our mind to be like Christ in every aspect of life. Okay. You know, yeah, I smarted off. I said that curt comment or that you know, that harsh words that I shouldn't have said. And, you know, that was not, that was walking in my flesh. That wasn't walking in the spirit. And it's those type of things. And, and those, those type of things will stand out to people. When we are constantly walking in the spirit and walking in the, in the way that God wants us to go, we will, we will stand out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I th- you know, I've heard a word a couple of times and I think it's important striving. You yes. said it, Sonny, and you said it, Micah, and that's, yeah. that's, that's important because, yeah, yes, right now we are, we are in, we're in a fallen nature, yeah. and that's the whole point of the Spirit indwelling us is to, is to help guide us 
out of that fallen nature day by day, a little bit, a little bit closer to him, a little bit more in alignment with that chief cornerstone, right? Day by day. And I, th- I think it's important to maintain a proper understanding of holiness from the father's perspective, because holiness from the father's perspective is because, because anything out of alignment with his idea of holiness is in the realm of darkness is in Satan's realm. Satan's objective from the start was to pull us away from the father's standard of holiness. And, and that's where the imperfection has come in because he's the, he's the, the ruler of the power of the air right now in, in the realm that we live in. And, and that's what, what, and we'll see this more as we kind of get into the, to this episode, but that's, that's the whole objective of Jesus is to, is to rescue us from that power of darkness. And it's a process. And I think it is important to understand that it is a process, yes. but it, the process does have a goal. It does have an end goal. And the end goal is that glorified body at the end of it where, where we will be perfect. And, and that day we are told that we will be perfect, not in this life, right. but we're striving toward it. I want to read something else that Peter says in his second letter that kind of makes that clear, I think. And it's in, let's see, where do I want to start? Let's play this game again. Okay. Verse 14. Uh, Second Peter chapter three, verse 14, it says, beloved, since you look for these things, he's talking about the, the new heaven and the new earth, the, the future blessed hope where we'll be reborn. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So be, be diligent, strive, strive at being found, being found as spotless and blameless as you can be. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. And this is where he gives a warning that I think is pretty applicable to our day as well. And, and we'll dive more into that in future episodes, I think. But for now, we'll just kind of leave it, leave it as is. But it says, as also in all his letters, meaning the letters written by Paul, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. So he's saying some of the things that Paul says is difficult to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now listen to, listen to what he says, how they distort it. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. That word unprincipled is probably better translated as uh, wicked or lawless. So lawless men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The sort of individuals he's talking about here, I think, is, is better clarified by Jude when he says in verse 4 of his letter, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only, only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So what's being warned about here is not, he's not warning about those who have, have a proper understanding that we will fail. We're not perfect. We will stumble and we need his grace. What he's warning about here, what they're warning about here are the individuals that use grace as a license to, to engage in failure as a lifestyle choice. And that's really what, what Peter is, is creating a, 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 a contrast here between. So living to strive for his definition of holiness is striving to stop failing, right? Every day we should, str- like, I shouldn't wake up and be like, I wonder how I can fail the most high today. I wonder how I can disobey him today. That's going to be fun. 
right? We don't want to disobey. We know we're going to at points, but we don't want to. He's contrasting that with the sort of individual that, that does wake up with the intent to fail and just use his grace to cover that when, when, when he does intentionally, intentionally without any form of repentance ever, right? Like biblically speaking, repentance has always been required, Yes, right? And that's really what Peter's talking about here. He's not saying be perfect. You're not going to make it to heaven. Right. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't use the grace that's been offered to you through the, the horrifying death of your Messiah as an excuse to continue sinning without any intention ever of even attempting to turn from your sin. That's what he's talking about here. So it's it's a very extreme contrast that he's painting. And I think it's also important to, to know where he quotes that from. So he said, as it is written, be holy as I am holy. We know exactly where that's found. And it's Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. And what's interesting there, and I'm not going to dive into the weeds on that, Leviticus chapter 11 is a dietary instruction. So that's where he chooses to, to quote that from. And I think the reason that's important is because that whole, that whole chapter is really about, it's about setting yourself completely apart from the things that the Father calls unclean to make yourself clean in order to approach the presence of the Most High at the temple. And I, I don't necessarily believe this is, a, this is a diatribe on diet. What I think Peter's doing here is he's, he's telling his, his, his readers that you should, if, if you've been offered the opportunity to approach the throne with boldness, don't treat that with, with what's the word? Arrogance. Arrogance. That's a good word. Don't be arrogant about that. Don't, don't intentionally bring your uncleanness into the throne of the Most High and expect Him to accept that, yeah. right? When you bring your uncleanness to the throne of the Most High, you, it needs to be with the attitude of, I'm unclean, I'm trying to beat this sin, I don't know what to do, I need your help, please help clean me from this. Not, I'm going to bring this uncleanness into your throne because I like it, God, and you're going to accept it. You're going to accept me how I am, and you're going to accept this uncleanness, and you're going to let me keep it. That's the difference he's, he's talking about here. That's the contrast he's painting here. We saw how well that worked for Cain. Correct. Because <laughs> I think that was Cain's attitude. Mm-hmm. I do too. He, he brought, okay, you know, whatever, I'm going to bring his, I mean, he brought a sacrifice, but he brought it with the wrong heart, mm-hmm. the wrong attitude. It's like, you'll, you'll accept this no matter what. Yeah. So I think, and you've heard, you've heard me say it before, uh, the universal will of God compared with the individual will of God. So we've already kind of addressed the universal will of God being the commandments, right? That's, that's what, what you have written in the word of God. That's the universal will. So that's what, 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 what would apply to everyone. Uh, not necessarily every commandment because the commands are, are jurisdictional, meaning they, they, they have uh, narrowly specific applications, right? Like if you're not a Levite, then the laws related to Levites don't apply to you. But what I'm saying is that's, that's universally applied to all mankind is what I'm saying. His, his instructions are universally applied. We talked about earlier, though, and you mentioned it as well, Sonny, you know, living a holy life is being kind to people. You know, when, when, when he presses you to, to give somebody a hand up, listen. Be kind to that person, show love. And Peter talks about that too, showing brotherly love later in that, that, first, that first chapter of First Peter. He talks about, you know, the, the fulfillment of the law is showing brotherly love. That's the apex. That's, that's the high point. If you feel brotherly love, that means that you've been transformed and you're being led by the Spirit. If you genuinely feel that, right? If you don't feel any brotherly love, you should probably pray for, for something to happen in your life because something's gone wrong. That's where I was. Something went wrong and something needed to be fixed, right? That's what I would call the individual will, though. 
right? It's, it's related to the universal will because the universal will, the commandments tell us to be kind and compassionate to our neighbor. But the individual will is the spirit coming alongside you and telling you exactly how to apply that to the individuals that are right in front of you. So that would be the individual will, right? And that, that sets you apart also. So the universal will sets you apart, broadly speaking, because your, your lifestyle is different. Yes. The individual will set you apart because you're doing things different. You're, you're doing things different than you would have before. Like, like you, I'm sorry to point you out, Sonny. You're, <laughs> you're right across from me. I don't even have to turn my head. No, it's just right on. You, if you compare the way you treated people maybe six years ago to the way you treat people today, is there a difference? Yeah, it's six years ago and today. Um, let's just say I just got out of DOC and and uh, started living life in society again. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more or less of uh, kind of. Uh, culture shock still, you know, um, I've actually been out, well, I was, I got out August of, of 2015, just whenever I got out. So six years ago I was working and I wasn't going to church. Wasn't, I was sneaking, drinking and I would actually even drink at work back then. And, uh, you know, I, it was funny because I actually had a friend on, on Facebook send me a picture of me holding a, I used to work for a moving company and I actually had a couch on top of my head and I was balancing it on my head. Because, I mean, I was a, I was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would do all kinds of stupid stuff, but, uh, I was going to say strong, but yeah, I mean, this is what friends are for. We yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, the couch in your head, that's pretty strong. Uh, you know that I look at it now and, and, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have, I mean, I, I would have gave the guy on the corner 20 bucks, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I wouldn't have talked to him about God. You know, I was scared to talk to people, even you know, like, I used to hold Bible studies in prison, but I, I wouldn't come out here in the world and talk about God. I was scared to. I was scared of what people might think of me, or I was scared that I might be wrong. Yeah. I, that's That's been my biggest thing, and, and that's been my biggest hang-up even here lately, because, you know, am I— Am I wrong? Am I thinking wrong? Am I, you know, am I misinterpreting what I'm reading or, you know, the way that I feel about it or anything else? So, you know, and I don't ever want to lead anybody the wrong way. So it's always just more or less of, you know, if, usually if it feels right, I'd say it and Nine times out of ten, like even whenever I'm doing my post, I don't even like I I black out, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I don't really remember writing it down, and then I'll go back and read. I'm like, I really wrote that, <laughs> yeah. But, um, I I think the biggest thing is is my mindset has changed, the way that I perceive 
the world, people, places, things, everything. Um, I've grown up. <laughs> yeah. And um, to anybody out there that's using or, or drinking or, and you feel led to, to stop, stop. If, even if you have to get help, because I'll tell you what your mindset, I'm going on six months this coming up week. And uh, in this six months, I've never been more clear in my mind than ever. I, I can't ever remember a time. Even, even whenever I was struggling, trying to stay sober or anything else, I've never been more clear. And like in this day and age, I, I don't want to be a cloud. I don't want to be a, I don't want to just mosey on through life anymore. You know, I want life to have meaning because before it was just more or less of wasting my, wasting my life away Mm -hmm. and all for stuff that happened in the past you know all for hurts and hang-ups and everything else that happened before but and i just got completely lost sidetracked on what we were even talking about no you're right (laughs) no i love you mentioned mindset i think mindsets mindset's a better way to understand it because you can have outward deeds but if it's not from the right heart and the right mindset then yeah then it's not it doesn't mean a lot you know and you know you kind of mentioned at the start sonny about uh uh, the way people act, like people just seem to be down. They, they seem to be struggling. Yeah. It's like there's a fog, yeah. right? It, it, it really, it feels like there's a fog over people. And I think that's what the, the, the spirit comes in and he removes that fog. He changes the way you see things. Like you mentioned, he changes your mindset because, you know, if I look back six years ago, you know, I could say I did nice things for people mm-hmm. outwardly, but I didn't do it from a right heart. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I did nice things outwardly because I knew I should. Yeah. I mean, let me give you an example. I, I told you I'm not going to air it out on the podcast, but what what my wife went through last night with that professor, the old me would have ranted on it for a couple hours and hated that woman. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hated that woman and had nothing had nothing good in my heart for her at all. Right. But and I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just I'm just saying this to kind of demonstrate the the change. The way we responded to it last night was, this is what we can do moving forward. She can't do this to you, right? We can't let her do this. This is this is obviously a spirit against spirit type of thing. And then we prayed and prayed for her. Prayed that God would find a way to soften her heart, break the powers of darkness that are over her, that are driving her and influencing her, her decisions and get her to a place where she genuinely wants to be free from that. I never would have prayed that before. Yeah. Like I can look back in shame and say, I didn't pray for people like that. They yeah. came against me. I treated them like an enemy. And I didn't, I, I, I had, I had no concern for their spiritual welfare at all. (laughs) Welfare at all. Man, that's hard to say that. Their spiritual welfare at all. There we go. We got there. Now I do. Right. I I find myself crying for people that I would have despised before. And it's not because of me. It's because of him. It's because I, it's because I'm seeing things from his perspective. It's that heart change, that mindset change. And this thing is, I, I believe God puts, even people like that in your life to teach you lessons. I do too. To to teach you, hey, this is more reliance on me. I'm going to put you in a situation with somebody difficult, somebody to just, what's the word I'm looking for? Should I say gnashing of teeth? Mm -hmm. That is just wicked. That is just nasty. And, are you going to lash out or are you going to use 
him, you know, um, you know, use your own will or his will. Yeah. And there's things that, and like everybody's been struggling lately and it seems like it's all a different story. It's not the same story over and over and over, you know, it's not the same thing. So, you know, God's trying to show something here. You know, there's some lesson in everything. And what's the lesson here? You know, what's the lesson in that situation? You know, um, mine, mine's probably more or less of just more dependence on him, mm -hmm. you know, uh, keeping my mouth shut, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, keeping my, speaking when not yeah, to. yeah. I, uh, and I think that's my lesson here lately has been sit back, listen, sit back, listen, learn. And, but you know, the, and I think that's a, a process of becoming quote, holy, you know, I mean, it's these lessons every day, every week, every month, you know, and it's, it's being in that furnace getting refined, mm -hmm. you know, yep. but God, God's going to do that until the day we die. It'll never end. So, you know, I mean, I don't, and I, I mean, I don't like mean this in the wrong way, but I don't strive for perfection because I know I'll never, if I do that, then I know that I'm searching for something unattainable. I just know what God puts on my heart that is wrongdoing by him. And then I work on that. You know, he always puts something in front of me, whether it be my tongue, whether it be my, my, you know, worldly ways of doing things, of treating people, of, you know, of not searching for him or, or whatever. He puts something in my path and then convicts me of it. And then I work on that. And then, like you said, you know, the, the law, the, the everything everybody should be doing. I mean, that's in my mind, I think that's just like, that's moral code. Like that's moral conduct. Mm -hmm. Like that's just what you do in everyday life. And that's a given, you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of the way that my mind thinks of it. But you know, do I act upon it every day? No, probably not. But that's just kind of the way that I, I perceive it. And then, you know, there's, there's the law and then there's the law that God gives you because yours is going to be different than mine. And Mike is, you're going to be different than mine. You know, there's going to be certain things that as far God, as your individual calling, you mean? Yeah. yeah. And as far as God's wanting you to work on some sin mm -hmm. that you hold higher than him or that is in your way of being closer to him. And I think you bring up a good point because it's not that aspect of we're striving so much for perfection that we get discouraged and we get into this state of, you know, reclusing yeah. or isolating because we can't do anything because, well, if I can't do it right, then I'm not going to do it at all. And I think that's where we kind of misunderstand it as well. And so I think you brought up a good point and it's important for our listeners to understand that, that it's not a wake up every day. Okay. I'm going to be perfect today. Mm -hmm. And then when we're not, then we're beating ourselves up and we go into this discouragement. We go into this fog type thing that we're talking about where 
we're not fully understanding, but it's that that daily reminder of walking with Christ. Today, I'm going to walk with Christ. This moment, I'm going to walk with Christ. This, you know, God help the next thing out of my mouth to be from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to, to highlight our general attitude yep. about his expectations for us, because that's really what it's about. That's really what Peter and the other authors are really talking about. It's our general attitude about it. It's, 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 it's not that, that we fail. He knows we fail. He, he, he already pre-planned for our imperfection. Right. He already pre-planned <laughs> for our failure and our stupidity, right? He, he pre-planned for that. It's, it's our attitude toward him. I want to read something from Ezekiel, actually, because we've been talking a lot about, you know, the universal will and then the individual will. So, you know, how we apply his, his expectations for us or attitude about his expectations, but also how we respond to his prompting in sharing with those around us. And I think this part in Ezekiel really highlights both ends of that with the prophet when he's called by the Most High. So it's, it's, it's Ezekiel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And he says this, Then he meaning the Most High, said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. So just pausing there, their attitude toward him was an attitude of rebellion. So there's a difference between failing, succumbing to weakness, succumbing to sin, and having a rebellious, closed-fisted attitude toward him. And that's what he's talking about here. The people of Israel, they claimed, they gave him lip service. During this period in their history, they worshipped him. But they had a very rebellious attitude about his expectations. Their attitude about his law for them was very rebellious, right? And he's finally responding after centuries. He's finally responding. He, well, he, he'd responded to it, but he, he brought consequence. He brought severe consequence for it. It's like continuing verse four. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh. I love that he still refers to them as children. Even in the rebellion, even in the midst of their consequence, he still refers to them as his children. Verse 5, as for them, whether they will listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit, in, you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. Warning again and again, they're rebellious and they're going to hate you for what you're about to say. Verse 7, but you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. So strive. That's what he's telling Ezekiel here. You're going to be in an environment of rebellion. I'm sending you into an environment of rebellion, but you can't let that environment change you. That's what he's saying. You've got to strive for holiness. He called Ezekiel because he was striving for holiness. Ezekiel had the right attitude about the Father and his instructions. That's why he was called. And he's sent to a people that have the wrong attitude because God still loves the people that have the wrong attitude, the rebels. But somebody has to speak the truth into their sin, right? And I think that's sometimes we, we, we get misguided in love, thinking that love is making them feel good about their sin. And it's not. Love is speaking kindness into their sin. 
speaking, well, sorry, speaking truth into their sin with a kind heart, right? It's, it's, you have to do it in the right way. You have to have the right heart condition. You have to have the right mindset. Mm-hmm. You have to be kind about it. But he still tells us to speak truth into the sin. And that's exactly what he's telling Ezekiel to do here, to speak truth into it, even though what he's about to say next is absolutely true as well. He says this. I think I stopped in verse 8. Now you speak to that. Open your mouth. Okay, no, no, no. Verse 8. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was on it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Then he said to me, I'm going to skip down to verse 4 of chapter 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel nor to many people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand, but I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. I'm going to stop there. So he's essentially said that he made Ezekiel just as stubborn and obstinate as them, just in the right way, right? And that's like the the real hard commission that Ezekiel gets here is that, you know, you've set yourself apart. You've loved me is essentially what the father's telling him. And I'm going to send you to a people that I love, but they don't love me back. And you're going to warn them. You're going to speak truth into their sin and they're not going to listen to you. That's tough. You don't get much more set apart than that. And th- this is on both ends of that of that will for your life paradigm, right? Ezekiel strove and sought to apply the universal will to his life. And now he's, he's called in his individual will, he's called to a people that are rebellious and that won't listen to him. Well, and see, like back then, it was like you went to a different city not saying that it was small, but like people knew that you weren't from that city. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you walked into a city, they knew you weren't from there. Everybody knew everybody or, you know, at least acknowledged them or seen them or, you know. Nowadays, you go into another city, nobody cares. It's like you don't exist. Yeah. You have to make yourself known to be able to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's there's not that opportunity to be able to somebody just come up to me. Hey, well, I haven't seen you around here, you know? So I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, it was, it. the way of living was different. There were places you could go that were, that were centers where you would go and you would share ideas. And, you know, you would likely go there. Like if he was going to go somewhere, it would be, it would be a, a, a worship center or, or a place where just the elders went, right, to, to talk. And he would probably share there. So it, it may have been a little bit different. You could, you could find venues, but we, we keep more of a stranglehold on that kind of stuff today. It, it would be hard. If you didn't already have a platform, it would be, it would be more difficult. God makes a way. Yeah. He's sovereign and in control. He makes a way. Maybe go to the market. 
Something yeah. like that. Go to Walmart and start yelling it out in the middle oh, right. of the grocery section. <laughs> start throwing Bibles at people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe toss them. Oh, no. I think what it highlights, though, and the reason I wanted to read that is, is when you strive to follow very closely with the Most High, there's a good chance that it's going to set you apart so much that you're, you're going to feel a little bit alone. Yes. I'm sure Ezekiel did, right? The more you set yourself apart, even among believers, you'll feel, feel like an outsider at times, especially when, like in Ezekiel's day, these were believers he was called to. He wasn't called to atheists. He's, he's called to believe, these people believed in the Most High. They believed in the same God. They just added other gods to the mix too, but they still believed in the same God. So he's in, that's what the Most High tells them. I'm not calling you to a people that you don't speak their language. These are your countrymen. They speak the same language as you. They, say, they have the same cultural background as you, right? But you're still going to stand out like, like an alien in their midst because they've gotten so far off base. They've gotten so misaligned to the cornerstone, right? That anybody who's aligned to the cornerstone stands out. And they're going to be mistreated. And I, I, I worry that we're getting dangerously close if we haven't already gotten past that in the churches, especially in America, that we're so kind of misaligned. We're getting so misaligned from the biblical text that to align yourself with it, it makes you look weird and, and you get ostracized a little bit. I've, ex I've experienced that to a degree yeah. in the past. And, and it is a problem. It, it's a problem that when you agree with the fullness of what the Father says, that you look like an outsider to those who also claim to believe in and love what the Father says. Something has gone askew there. Something's gone awry there. And we need to get back to the source, right? That's what holiness is. Holiness is getting back to the source. Yep. And we need to get back to that source, even if it means being so set apart that it places us in a very uncomfortable position or even in danger. Well, it's... Kind of like I was talking about the other day, letting your light shine. You know what I mean? It, you don't have a light because of yourself or what you've done. You have a light because God gave it to you. Mm -hmm. You know, the closer you get to him, the brighter it is. Absolutely. Amen. And, you know, and whatever study we did or whatever it was, but also the darkness can also see that light. Oh, yeah. And the brighter it is darkness gets smaller or the, it shines brighter in darkness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the thing is. And the darkness will want to put a cover on that. And yeah. It'll want to choke it out. Choke it out. But, and that's the thing. Like, you know, all it takes is just one little step. And one little step, one little acknowledgement of trying to get closer to God mm -hmm. one little step at a time and you know eventually that step that next step gets a little bigger the next step gets a little bigger then you might eventually run you might trip and fall a couple of times or you know crap you might bust your head <laughs> you know <laughs> but hey you know, at least you get up and you keep going. Because I'll tell you what, this, with the way this world is nowadays, and I mean, I, I hate to see how much hatred there is out there. And, and just going around town even, I mean, just the, the bitterness and, and hatred that's out. I mean, 
I like it. I, I, I really I cherish the moments that I actually see love being shown. You know, I seen a, a kid the other day. He couldn't have been maybe, but maybe 10, 11 years old, I think. And uh, he was holding the door for an, an elderly woman and called her ma'am. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> you know, I mean, just that one kid, I was just like, man, that's awesome. You know, you know Sonny, good you're job, right. mom and dad. <laughs> exactly. What's the first thing people do if you see something? What do they, what do, they do first? If, if somebody's in trouble or being beat on or whatever, what do they normally do? They whip out their phone and start recording it. Oh, Our yeah. society has become observers, not doers. Mm-hmm. And we need to get back to the doers. If I see a woman being beaten by a man, even though I'm handicapped, I'm going to throw my body in between that woman and that man. Because that man can overpower the woman. Most men can overpower most women. We have a duty. We're called to behave differently to protect the weak. I'm not saying women are weak. Please don't take it that way. That's not what I'm saying. The I'm saying. <laughs> I was going to say we're we're running on a thin line here. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I said that. Women are not weak. I'm just saying that we're called to behave differently in situations where people will step back and watch events occur as opposed to putting ourselves into those events. Well, also nowadays, the thing about putting yourself in those events, you could actually end up catching a charge very easily. That's the only thing about, I, I, that's I, me. I agree. If I see somebody getting beat up, I'm sorry, I'm not stepping in because I've been to prison and I'm not going to prison over somebody else's stupidity. I That's my way of thinking. I'm not going to help somebody like that. I think you have in your mind, though, two individuals fighting each other, and I think he has in his mind somebody that can't defend themselves being oh. being attacked. Being oh. that's, that's, yeah. That was the that was the context of what he said, like yeah. like a kid being beat up or oh, a woman no. being beat up yeah, or something. Yeah, I, yeah, stepping in in between two people fighting each other is different. Yeah, but. somebody being you know not able to defend themselves. Yeah, but not whenever it comes to just I. This world's crazy. And the ju- judicial, judicial, ah, judicial system is is messed up because I've seen so many people get charged with crazy stuff for doing things like that, stepping in. I I met a guy in prison that was in there for murder, for helping somebody, and he did twenty years on 25 and you know you you end up getting into that situation and you end up catching more charges in there because all you're doing is defending yourself well and i will say you know it's it it's narrowly focused to to you know defending somebody but broadly speaking there may come a day where aligning ourselves with the father's expectations does land us in prison. True. I think we need to, we need to be prepared for the possibility of that. We saw that in the, in the person of Jeremiah and, you know, you see that in the way Ezekiel is treated at certain points. I mean, it's happened you to see a lot that with of Paul. Them. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, it's happened to a lot of them mm-hmm. and for something that they didn't even 
really do, except yeah. for just speak the word of God. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. I, I think we need to be prepared for that because when you look at that commission that I just read from Ezekiel, in my opinion, there's nothing that that outwardly that makes Ezekiel super special from anybody else. It's it's not that Ezekiel spent 10 years perfectly obeying the law, so then, then God decided to use him and call him. It's willingness. Ezekiel was willing. That's what set Ezekiel apart at the end of the day was that he, he fully believed in the Most High. He had no doubt whatsoever. He believed in him. He trusted him, and he was willing to do what he was told or to strive to do what he was told, even if it meant extreme discomfort in his own life. You see that, you know, and when you read further, Ezekiel is called to do some very uncomfortable things. And he does it without question. He just does it because he's willing, you know, and I'm not saying to, to, to go out of your way. And that's why I mentioned it at the start. There's a difference between being set, art, set apart for the sake of being set apart in a way that's not godly and being set apart because you're just obeying what the father tells you to do. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, we've got to be doers and not just watchers, Mike. If, if doing wasn't important to the most high, then he wouldn't have given us an entire law code on how to live our life and how to behave. If our behavior did not matter to him, then there'd be no law. And I'm sorry to those theologians that disagree with me. The law was not just given to prove how sinful we are to prove why he needed to kill Jesus. That's not the sole purpose of the law because that's a, that's a very troubling theology that has led to the Andy Stanley doctrine, that it was only there just to show that Jesus needed to die on a cross, and now that he's died on a cross, it has no bearing in our life. That's, you can't read a fullness of Scripture and come away with that conclusion, especially with what we've already addressed in the first three parts of this study, where it clearly shows us that in a New Covenant context, his, his expectations for us do still have bearing. As, as he defines holiness, it still has bearing in our life. Because what we do does matter, but we, like you said, Sonny, we need to not be foolish either. Where, you know, we're called to be innocent as doves, but we're also called to be wise as serpents. We need to not be foolish and just throw our life away. But well, like, not, at, not at the expense of disobeying the Father, though. In, in my instance, like, that was part of my refinement. Prison was part of my refinement. And I know it was. Because I, I searched for God whenever I was in prison. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was in my Bible a lot for, you know... 18 months and you know i learned a lot about myself and a lot about god in in that time i mean you go 18 months with your nose in the bible 12 15 20 hours out of the day you know i mean you're you're going at it and i just i know my prison sucks (laughs) and i do not want to go back and it I mean, if that's what God's will is, okay, fine. I'll go back. But man, it's so much better out here. (laughs) 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 And that's a fair statement. Yeah. Well, it, and like I, it gives me anxiety even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, like, I kind of got defensive about the whole situation that you brought up because, like, it freaks me out. Like it, it kind of puts me in one of those panic modes, you know, and that's kind of what I'm, I apologize for kind of being like that about it, but man, it, 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 it it really does, Mm -hmm. you know, because like I've seen what happens in there and I mean, it's not completely crazy. It's, but it's not no fun. And 
you know, you're, you're around so much evil that like you can just, you can feel it all around you. And it, it's a, it's a horrible place to be. But, you know, it, it kind of, it makes me go into panic mode if I think about putting myself in one of those positions to end up being in it. Because, like, now that I think about it, as many times as I drank and drove, you know, and, like, that panics me now. Like, that, that makes me think, like, I could have I killed somebody. I could have ended up being in prison for the rest of my life. I could have killed myself. I could have, you know, even just got another DWI and that would have put me back in prison, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, all these things that used to not affect me that I used to not care about, I care about now. It it makes me, it makes me anxious because I'm just like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do those things anymore. And that's that mindset. That's that change of heart. And, you know, slowly but surely it's coming too. Now, there's nothing at all wrong about being thoughtful and, and intelligent about your actions to, to make sure that you don't suffer consequences that aren't necessary. Right. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I didn't mean, I didn't mean to come across like that's what I was saying. If that's, oh, no. if that's how you I, I was feeling guilty about it anyways, because I, I kind of felt myself get amped up. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 there's nothing to apologize for, man. I get it. I understand completely, but you know, we do, we do need to, to have that heart of willingness, you know, that, that whatever circumstances arise around us, that we're willing to stand up for, for our eternal father. Right. And to, to obey the, the unction of the spirit that's placed upon us and, and sharing the, the good news of, of Jesus, because really that's what we're here for. Right. And in whatever, whatever way he tells us to do that, that's, that's what we need to obey, even if that puts us in a very uncomfortable position. And to that end, I have a very specific example I want to dig into on the other side. But for now, I want to go ahead and take our break. And this week, we're going to play a song. It's actually a new release from ASAP Preach called Rose in the Road. And it's a really good one. Pretty excited to feature this one. So, I haven't heard this one yet. That's really good. You'll like it. We're going to play that and be sure and stick around, and we will talk at you in a few. Mistakes, I'm feeling sorrow. 
just wanna see the sun up Like a flower when it's sprung up uh, And when the stress tries to run up I love to tell it just to shut up God fights for us This life scorch us Great is your love Great is your love I'm so grateful, Father God You never forgot about me even when I go through my trials and tribulations, you're always here. I'm so grateful. I just want to see the sun up, like a flower when it's sprung up. And when the stress tries to run up, I love to tell it just to shut up. God fights for us. And we're back. Wait, what? <laughs> Stolen? You're you're all over it, man. <laughs> that was "Rose in the Road" by ASAP Preach. So here on the B side of the record, I want to dig into Numbers chapter thirteen, and specifically, I want to look at a guy named Caleb. It's one of my favorite figures in all of Scripture. His story is incredible. The more than we see him. And uh, I think it really highlights what we've kind of been talking about really through this whole series. I think Caleb is a, is a really awesome picture of what it looks like to build on that foundation, upon that proper biblical foundation of, of trust, of, of believing in the expectations that the Most High has, believing in Him first and foremost, and being set apart. Specifically, what we've talked about already the, on the top half of this episode, what it looks like to truly be set apart, to be obedient, even when it's very uncomfortable. So we first meet him when the people are about to spy out the land of Canaan. So they've just been taken out of Egypt and they received the commandments at Mount Sinai. They've tested the Most High over and over and over and over again and complained and rebelled and done everything they can to, to lose the covenant. <laughs> the Most High has done everything he can to preserve it for his own namesake. And then we come to verse thir or chapter 13 of Numbers and it says this, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So we're going to stop there. So I'm not going to read through all of the, the spies. The ones that were focused on are Caleb and Joshua. The names of the other spies really don't matter. And uh, for reasons that we'll see in a minute. But I mainly want to focus on Caleb. Before we start, do you guys have any comments that you'd like to make? What translation are you using? I'm going to be using the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. What verse did you just read? That was verse no, one, 1 of chapter 13. Oh, okay. Verses one, 1 and 2. Okay. I just read that because I wanted to set the, the, the scene here. The Most High commands them to spy out the land, and I believe this was... He knew what was in the land. I believe he was testing them. Of course. I believe he was testing them to see if they would obey. Because what the Most High could have done, he could have just said, rally the people together and send them into Canaan. 
He didn't do that. I think he, I, 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 I know he knew what was in their heart. He knew it was truly in the people's heart. We're going to see that as we read forward, but he saw what was in their heart. And I think he was testing that out to bring what was in their heart to the surface. So they spy out the land. Just, just the rest of these verses without reading them. They spy, they spy it out. They see the people that live in the land. They see the cities. They see the, the produce of the land. And it's, it's incredible what they see. And then they come back. And we come to verse 25. That's where I'm going to start back up. Go ahead. It's everything God promised it would be. Absolutely everything he promised. Yeah. To the letter. So verse 25, it says this. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they spied it for 40 days. They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. So everybody's here listening to what they're saying. They're giving a big speech and everybody's there. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, which is literally they brought back a massive cluster of grapes that it took two, two men on a pole to carry. Verse 27, thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So they're afraid. The people there are great. Long story short, there's a lot of things that we could dig into on the, on the people that are living there. They were called giants at the time. They were large in stature were where we get individuals like Goliath, right. sort of people that had six fingers and six toes and double rows of teeth, kind of eerie stuff. I'm not going to dive into the weeds on, on the origins of that because that's not really our purpose right now. The, purpose, the, the point is they were big, they were fearsome, and from a human perspective, they were insurmountable. That's the point, and that's what they're focused on. These, these particular spies that are given this report are narrowly focused on how fearsome the people living in the land of Canaan are. Mm-hmm. They tell all the people this. So their hearts weren't where they should have been, trusting that the Lord will deliver them as he said he would. Yes. Correct. Then verse 30 says this. So first off, he's, it says, then Caleb quieted the people. So the people hear this, and I believe there's an uproar. Mm-hmm. I believe the people are like, like, like shouting back and forth. What are we going to do? We came all the way here. What are we going to do now? Right? So Caleb stands up and this is what, what tells me that Caleb didn't say the first part of this. He didn't rouse the people's fear because he stands up and he quiets the people down. He says, quiet down. Give me a second. Let me speak. And then he says this, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. Total faith. Mm-hmm. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people from whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. 
So they go from giving an honest report. The, the first part you see an honest report, here's the fruit of the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. These are the inhabitants. People get terrified. Then Caleb says, what are we waiting for? Let's just go do this. This is what we were told to do. We will overcome this. Let's just go do it. Then the other spies say that we can overcome it. It's too much for us. And then they give a bad report. So they go from giving an honest report of the land to being so convinced that they can't take the land that they actually lie about what they saw. I, I believe what they're doing here is they're, I think they're embellishing. They're, they're spreading fear. It's possible that they were saying it truthfully, but they were saying it in a way that was untruthful, if that makes sense. They were intentionally causing the people to fear. That statement, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. That's an embellishment. That's an example of an embellishment. These were great people that they saw, but there's no way that literally they were like grasshoppers in the sight of these people. They're causing fear among the people of Israel when the people of Israel are already fearful. Let's also set the mood here. How many people were they talking to? That's very debatable. Do you Have you ever looked into that, Micah? In Canaan, you mean? or Do you mean the people of Israel or the people, the people of, of Israel? Wasn't it like six million or something uh, like yeah, that? It's well over a million people, yeah. Right. So they're, they're speaking to well over a million people, right? A million people of fear. Yep. Which becomes riotous real quick. Right. Becomes, I, uh, I mean, just downright, I mean... These other, these other spies, if they weren't set, you know, maybe they were the ones that possibly could have been worshiping the calf. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Caleb, he's, he's on it. He's straight with God. He's got faith, you know, and he's sitting there saying, Hey, no, let's go do this. This is what God sent us to do. I mean, he went straight to Moses, so apparently he's, you know, um, I guess a more higher up guy. I skipped it's, over it, but it does. I'm sorry, I'll turn over in a second. It does say when the the spies were picked out, each spy represented one of the one of the tribes. So Caleb represented the tribe of Judah. Each spy represented one of the individual tribes, and it, tribes, and it says they were looked at as a leader. Of their right. particular tribe. So yeah, he would have been a leader, a leader class. He would have been higher up. Yeah. It's about perspective. Right. Are we going to look at it the way that God said it would be? Or are we going to look at it from our own fear standpoint? Because I, I believe the report's accurate. Yes, there were walls. There were giants. There were walls were fortified. They were, they probably looked like great warriors and that there's no way we could take this. And so rather than focus on what God had told them to do, take the land, the 10 chose to focus on that reality. They're giants, the fortified walls, the, yes, it's, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there's big clusters of fruit and all the stuff that God promised us it would be, but we can't take it. So I think it's our perspective. And I think in life, we do that as well. You know, we know what God said to do but it's hard. It's difficult, but there's this, there's giants. There's yeah, it's, there's tremendous blessing in serving God, but 
the road all the road to get there is sometimes difficult. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's too many potholes, it's too rocky, we'll yeah. trip, we'll fall, we won't make it there. And I'm not saying that the report Well, we don't understand the culture that we live in, that mm-hmm. that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the report was a flat out lie. What I what I'm getting at is that they were they were overemphasizing the the problem to the point where they were making the problem bigger than what it really was comparative to the promise that was given to them. That's that's sort of what I mean. Like they're they're causing fear, Neela. We we see that with the Most High's response to the to the to the the other ten spies later. It, we won't actually get there. Spoiler alert: He kills them. He kills them with the plague. The only ones out of this entire this entire account that are stricken dead right then and there, the ten spies. So there was a little bit more, I believe, to to what they were doing. There was a heart condition problem mm-hmm. with the other spies. Like I don't think it was just they were afraid and they were acting in fear. There was something malicious about what they were doing. I believe. A little bit. I don't believe he would have stricken them dead otherwise. When he, when he brings a plague on somebody, it's because there's rebellion. There's rebellion in the camp. And I think this was an act of rebellion on their part. I think it started with fear. I do believe it's, that was probably the undercurrent, but there was some sort of rebelliousness, rebelliousness here that he needed to stamp out. Because they rabble-rouse. That's what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. And even though they're using a true statement to, to rabble-rouse, they're still rabble-rousing and causing the people to disobey. And we see that here in the next verses. So... Let's start in in chapter 14. Verse 1, it says this, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So this goes on all night long. Like they're weeping, they're weeping throughout all the night, and I believe that, you know, you have the people talking to each other and spreading rumors, and you know how rumors work anyway. It can start off with a true statement. It could have very well started off with an absolutely 100% true perspective statement from the 10 spies. What did that look like in the morning, though? Ooh. You know what I mean? I wonder what was mm-hmm. being said by the time they got into the morning. Probably wasn't good. Verse 2, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. See how this quickly turned into a civil war almost? Mm-hmm. Like they're talking about throwing Moses down, deposing Moses and Aaron, setting we don't have a name for this, this other leader that they wanted to, to lift up, but appointing another leader to go back to Egypt and beg Pharaoh to take him back. <laughs> Unreal. And what's, what's mind-blowing to me, they're not saying that Yahweh's not real. They're talking about him as if they believe he's real, but in complete distrust, just complete and total distrust, which defined these people from the moment he brought them out of Egypt to this point in time. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, so they give another speech. And this is, this is the part that it just gets awesome with Caleb and Joshua. The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If Yahweh is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahweh and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. 
do not fear them. What's awesome to me here, and I think this is what this is what I mean by, and I don't think I express myself well, the difference between the 10 spies who were rebelling and Joshua and Caleb is not necessarily what they saw. They were all together when they spied out the land. They all saw the same thing. They all saw the same thing. And the sons of Anak were fearsome. If, if, if I'm right about where they originated from, they were probably pretty terrifying to look at, to be honest. They were probably pretty terrifying. Nothing like we've ever seen. Nothing like we've ever seen. The difference is that the 10 rebel spies magnified the problem. Caleb and Joshua didn't minimize the problem. Well, they magnified their God. There's, there's more of them. There's 10 of them, and you have two. Mm-hmm. You have two showing the faith of God. You have 10 doubting the faith of God. Yeah, and the whole congregation, really. Yeah. Like, re- remember here, the whole congregation wanted to set a leader up and go back to Egypt. Millions. Mm-hmm. Or At least yeah, a million. More than a million or whatever. You know, I mean, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> and that's sort of what I was trying to get across yeah. in the top half when we talked about, you know, Ezekiel standing completely alone and possibly standing in a very uncomfortable circumstance. You have Caleb here, Caleb and Joshua. My focus is on Caleb. You have Caleb here standing up with just a couple. You have, you have Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb standing against 10 scowling spies rabble-rousing the people to go back to Egypt acting riotous. I mean, and he just, still stands up and says, what are you people doing? Yeah. Our God is bigger than our problem. Yes, mm. the, the sons of Anak are terrifying. Yes, they have fortified walls. Yes, the cities are, 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 are well defended. And then from human perspective, it would be impossible to overcome it. But guess what? We saw the plagues in Egypt. Mm-hmm. We saw the Red Sea part overnight. We right. saw his invisible hand hold back the Egyptian army. We saw him split the, we, we saw all these things that he's done. Every time we complained and grumbled, every time we whined about what we didn't have, he performed a miracle to give us exactly what we needed. We've seen him rescue us from things that no human hand could have rescued us from. And you want to doubt now? Yeah. He's mm-hmm. given us every, that's what Caleb's saying. He has given us every reason to trust in him. Every reason to trust in him. And you people want to go back to Egypt. You people want to go back to paganism. You people want to go back to Pharaoh and beg beg him to take us back? What are you doing? They stand up against a million people at least that are riotous and says, we need to trust the Most High. That is courage Mm -hmm. that could only come from the Spirit. That is supernatural courage and willingness. That's That's what striving for holiness looks like. Standing up against an entire mob that hates you in that moment, because I believe they hated them in that moment, and, and I believe that for, for a reason was coming next. And they still stood up for the Most High. They still stood up for what was right. They still stood up to obey. And that's why this is in the Bible. It shows that faith. It shows that drive. It shows that willingness to understand, to trust in God. Yeah. Trust. I mean, none of us, I don't think, are ever going to be put in that position, but it's just having that trust every day. You know what I mean? Understanding that God's going to be there for us whenever we need it. Yeah. And to be willing that if he does put us in that position, that we would stand up like Caleb and say, what are you doing? Yeah. We should be trusting him. It might not be on that degree, but, you know, it might not be millions, but it might be 10. (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, it might only be one, but. I'll be honest. There are times that I struggle saying something to the person standing next to me at the gas station out of fear of rejection. (laughs) (laughs) And Caleb stood up against all these people and said, we need to trust. Yeah. What are you people doing? We need to put our trust in him. Mm. What's our excuse? What's my excuse? Mm. We don't have one. We, we might not be a, or a mob going into the wilderness, but you know, we might be a single one, like you said, at a gas station or a grocery store or something like that. Are we going to stand up in those moments? Yeah. Are we going to, or are we going to have that trust? Are we going to have that faith? Before we move on, I want to share something pretty fascinating about Caleb. There's a couple things about him that I want to share. But first, I want to share his possible background because I think this gives us a picture. Caleb's a picture of a lot of things, and I I believe that he's a picture of the gospel intent too, of bringing all people into covenant with him. So in Joshua chapter 13, it's just one uh, a one-off verse that I want to read because up to this point, we just know that Caleb is the son of Jephunneh. That's all we're told here in Numbers. He's the son of a, of a guy named Jephunneh. Now, after all these events had occurred, Moses had, had, Caleb had been promised a land inheritance with the, with the tribe of Judah, specific land inheritance. Now, years and years later, after the 40 years in the wilderness are up because of the, of the penalty for what we're reading now, and they actually enter into the land of Canaan under the generalship of Joshua. Canaan or Caleb is still there and he enters in too. And he comes to Joshua to remind him of the promise that was given to him for a land inheritance. Let me find the verse. Cause I didn't, I didn't bookmark it. Mike, I didn't say anything. I could tell you were, you were holding it back. You really wanted to. I did. So it's, it's Joshua chapter 14, verse six. And it says, then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite said to him, dot, 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 the Kenizzite. So then we learn a little bit more about him. His father, at the least, was a Kenizzite. We see them mentioned only one time that I know of in Scripture. And to find that, we have to go all the way back, one other time, I mean. We have to go all the way back to Genesis. And it's when Abraham is given the promise that is about to be partially fulfilled for the sons of Israel here. It's the land promise. When he tells Abraham that your descendants will have the land of Canaan, the specific land here, this is what I'm promising to you and your descendants. And it says this, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Remember, this is Abraham receiving this promise. The Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite, dot, dot, dot. So the land of Canaan was inhabited by a people group called the Kenizzites. Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, who was the father of the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel long before there was a tribe of Judah, let alone long before Judah was born, let alone a tribe of Judah. And we're told that Caleb was the son of Jephunneh, a Kenizzite, a people group that preexisted the sons of Israel. Think about that for a second. At the very least, if these are the same Kenizzites, and there's no reason to believe they're not, because it's the only two places where they're mentioned. And to, to divorce the Kenizzites from the Kenizzites mentioned by Abraham here, you have, to, you have to do some interesting twisting. I believe that at the very least here, Jephunneh was a Gentile. His father 
Jephunneh, which means at best, Caleb's mother was of the tribe of Judah, and his father married her at best. At worst, he was a Kenizzite full blood, which means that at least partially Caleb was adopted into the tribe of Judah. And you see that in the way that it's framed in the Hebrew at certain points when he comes with the, with the, the sons of Judah come and then Caleb with them. Or when the land inheritance is given, Caleb's given a land inheritance among the tribe of Judah. Well, if that was just a given, if he was just natural born, why does it specify that he was given an inheritance specifically with the tribe of Judah? And we saw last week that, I believe it was last week when we, we looked at those, those scripture references that maybe it was the week before in part two, that the law was never just for the natural born children. The covenant was never just for the natural born children. We know that when they left Egypt, it was called a mixed multitude that went with them, meaning Gentiles left Egypt with them. It wasn't just the natural born. So there's at least a possibility here that Caleb was half Gentile. And if that doesn't paint an incredible picture of God's intended purpose with what would become the gospel of bringing all peoples into covenant with him, I don't know what does. And if that's true, that means that the one that stood up in faith here it said, you saw what the Most High did. You saw what Yahweh did. And we all know what he promised Abraham. And we know that he'll fulfill it. He may have been half Gentile. Facing down against full-blooded Israelites that wanted to go back to Egypt. It's pretty awesome to me. And what that shows me is that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God doesn't look at your, your lineage or your genealogy. God looks at your heart. God looks at your heart which we know is true even if Caleb was a full-born, full-born Israelite, even if this is all wrong and he was a full-born Judean, he looks at your heart. But if he wasn't, it just paints that perfect picture, almost like Ruth does, that he looks at your heart. Yeah. Pretty awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. And then here's the response of the people. Verse 10. But all the congregation, all, it says, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So because Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron stood up in faith, the people not only wanted to abandon them and go back to Egypt, they wanted to murder them on the spot. And they were getting ready to do it. And still, Caleb stands up in faith. No indication that he backed down, or that any of them backed down. None whatsoever. They were willing to be stoned to death right then and there to stand in faith with the Most High trusting well i think it's also good to i guess acknowledge the fact that these people were blinded by like we don't we don't have or they didn't have all the distractions that we do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like they were blinded just by simple everyday living of, of, you know, I mean, they're living in the wilderness and they don't have the faith in God like Caleb did or like Moses did or Aaron or what's the other guy's name? Joshua. Joshua. Uh, you know, there's not that many distractions whenever you're in the wilderness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they had to make things to be able to be distracted. You know, there's not, I don't, I, and see, I don't, I don't, I don't get how they were distracted. 
So bad. Could it have been just the <clears throat> daily struggle to survive food? I mean, you're in the wilderness, like you said. I mean, the food was, that was another miracle. And that, see, that's, the food was provided. Yeah, he removed all their struggles. That's what that, that's what's really kind of mind-blowing about the, the Israelites' response to the Most High. He removed all their struggles. He showed them miracles that none of us have ever seen. No. You know, the, the magnitude of which we've never seen. They were, they, were, they were following a pillar of fire by day, or yeah, a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were seeing the presence of the Most High with them every single day at this point. Yeah. Every single day. That's a good point. Never thought about that way. What was distracting them? When you're in the presence of God, I'm thinking that's pretty good stuff right there, you know? That's, but that's the thing is Caleb, Moses, Aaron, and Joshua, I mean, you have four men out of, to say a million, million people that are the only ones that see or that trust or that have faith enough to be able to stand up to a million people that are distracted by hatred or malice or whatever, but yet still have signs right in front of them every single day, knowing that God's still there knowing that God said that you have a purpose, that you have this land, that it is given to you, that all these things, but yet they're still not seeing it. I mean, that happened back then. (laughs) There's, I guess it just gives understanding of what's happening today. Yeah. And today, kind of, I mean, it kind of almost just breaks your heart. You know what I mean? Like, it kind of just, it makes you feel for the people that are blinded. But that's the thing. It was even happening back then. Mm -hmm. And it's even more today. And we're talking multitudes a hundred times that. You know? I mean, there's people lost out there that, we're not even trying to fight for nothing. All we're trying to do is tell the truth, you know, but you know, we're not fighting for a land, not yet, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that's the thing is these four men fought to show faith, to show truth, to show, Hey, this is promised to us. You see his, you see his miracles every single day but yet you don't have faith. I think it proves a few things to us. One of which being the majority, like we talked about earlier, the majority does not make right. You know, the argument that, that how could, how could so many, how could so many godly men be misled? I don't know, but I know throughout scripture, I see it happen all the time. And we see that here. And, you know, these people were following the most high and, still consistently, repeatedly tested him, rebelled against him, and and refused to obey, and, and, and so quickly let it turn to hatred, because that's, you know, you don't stone somebody unless you hate them, <laughs> you know, unless there's, it's a, it's a legal action, yeah, but in this case, this isn't a legal action, this is a murder, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're trying to murder him, like how quickly fear turned to hate is pretty stunning, and, you know, it shows that all it takes to, to lead you astray is your own heart. You don't need to be distracted by something necessarily. Your heart is enough. They were willing to follow the crowd instead of taking a stand. 
Mm-hmm. I think all throughout yeah. the wilderness wanderings, you see that. That's yeah. why they strayed so much. That's why the golden calf happens because they strayed away from what they knew to do something on their own. Yeah. And while the crowd's are doing it, okay, there's giants. You know, Joshua and Caleb, that's why I said all of them had the same report. Joshua and Caleb verify there's giants. Yeah. They're fortified. They're men of they're men of great stature. However, they chose to focus not on that aspect of it. They chose to focus on God's promised us this land. Let's go get it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping us because I don't know how God's going to do it. I mean, he tore down the walls of Jericho by us marching around the city. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's promised us this land. Let's go do it. And I think today we get that same mindset that, well, you know, there's not necessarily giants, but there's, there's some other distraction. We know what God's word tells us in his word, but to really live like that, I don't, I don't know. And the, 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 some of the other things say something different. And the majority is kind of going that way and there's some truth to it. And so, so it must be right. So, so, so Mm -hmm. we're just going to follow the crowd, whether we really agree with it or not, we're going to follow the crowd. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you see happening here. And I think that's why God stopped not to get it too far ahead of you. Oh, you're good. But that's why God, I think stops him right then and there and says, Hey, look, these men, the glory of God is around them. <laughs> yeah, I'll just read that. Before yeah, can, then the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. So right before they get ready to stone yeah. him to death, then I, you know, I don't think this was just like, you know, it, it you know, very quietly appeared. No, I think this was not. a, this was a cataclysmic appearance of the, of, absolutely. I think it shook. Yes, I right. think there was probably an earthquake. I yeah. think, I think yeah. things shook and terrified people into stopping what they were doing. Go yeah, ahead. I'm this, sorry. Is, this is God's way of saying, look, my hand is on them. I've promised you this land. Let's go get it. And it's no different today. God's given us his spirit. He's poured out that spirit upon us. And um, we were in a Bible study Tuesday night. We were talking, what does it really look like in 2023 for us to be poured out to the poured out in the spirit and actually live that way? There's going to be some Joshua and Caleb's that are standing against the crowd, standing against the multitude, going against the grain and saying, we are going to focus on what God said, not what the crowd's doing. Mm-hmm. Well, back to our original discussion on holiness, I think... I think that's a great example yeah. of it. And that's why I said earlier what James has said mm-hmm. about standing against the world. Yeah. And, yeah. and then basically they're standing against the whole world right yeah. there. Yeah. That's what it felt like, I'm sure. Uh, you know? You know, imagine, imagine something like this happening today, though, to where people are led to go take a land. You know what I mean? Like, what would that happen today? I think it is happening today. I think our group is a it's, significant part of what is happening. To break away from the mold, to break away from the normal, to break away from what we've always been taught and what we always know, to stand for the truth of God's word and actually go out and do what he's called us to do. Well, think about a spiritual level, you know? You know, if, yeah. he's, if he's calling us to, to, to conquer territory that the powers of darkness have conquered, well, there's demons there. Yeah. There's witches there. Yeah, there's scary stuff there. We can't do that. Yep. We have the most high with us. We can do whatever he tells exactly. us to do. Exactly. You know, because right. he can do whatever he tells us to do. Exactly. It's not about yeah, us. It's, it's not about, about him. him. Yeah. Yeah. I think the problem, you know, the more you focus on the problem, the bigger in your mind it becomes. And that's sort of what I meant when I said that they, they were telling the truth. The 10 spies were telling the truth, but in an untruthful way. I think they were right that there were giants there, obviously. Caleb, and like you said, Mikey, Caleb and Joshua confirmed that. There were giants there. 
But I think the more the 10 thought about the giants and focused on the problem, the bigger they got. Yep. The bigger they got. Yep. And the bigger they got until it was like, I was like a grasshopper. Yeah. Well, not literally. You weren't literally like a grasshopper. You were small. Yeah. But you weren't like a grasshopper, but you're so focused on the problems. The problem got huge in magnitude, but Caleb and Joshua focused on the problem solver. Yes. And he can't get any bigger because he's as big as he can possibly be. He's infinite. And they knew that. They knew that their problem solver was infinite and their infinite problem solver made a promise. Yes. And they were going to stand by the promise because it didn't matter how big the giant was because their God is bigger. Absolutely. And that's, that's why focus and mindset is so important. You've yes. got to stay focused on the problem solver and not the problem right. because the problem will lead you astray. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's another thing they were focusing on themselves, how big they are. Yeah. 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 We can't do that. We you, can't take you, it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it even refers exactly of their mindset. I was as big as a grasshopper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In my own sight. In my own sight. In my own sight, I became like a grasshopper. And I mean, if that's your focus, sure. Why? How are you going to do anything? You ain't going to do nothing. I mean, I, it, and that's the thing. It, it's all it's all on God. Yeah. All you got to do is keep your mind to him. Yes. And the biggest thing is, is with him, anything's possible. The, uh, he's shown it so many times throughout different scriptures, different times of scripture. I mean, the old Testament, the new Testament. I mean, there's plenty of, of times where I can say he's done it in my life, but in this right here, it shows where they were focused. Mm -hmm. They were focused on themselves. And apparently the multitudes were focused on themselves too, because they were focused on, different idol worships and different this, that, and the others. And okay, well, these guys are leading us to a whole death in our families and everything else. But yet we just went through all these things and, and partying, uh, partying of the Red Sea. I mean, come on. Yeah. You're walking next to walls of water. Yeah. And then it crashes down on, the chariots and yeah. walking on dry ground. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Think mean, about that for a second. After it, after the sea parted, they were walking as if it was on dry ground. It shouldn't have been like that. It was. It should have been sunk mushy. down to their ankles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ankle, or to their knees. I'm sorry. I meant knees. I, knees. I mean, chest even. Yeah. You know. I mean, you're talking about a sea mm-hmm. that just parted, and then chariots and you know horses and animals and i mean because they had all that with them didn't they yes I mean, they had they, to have yeah, yeah. They, did. they had to have had caravans yeah. yeah you know what i mean they had to have all that stuff and then to be able to pass through it yeah, that, was if, no, if, that was no small tale i mean no. if, if i'm looking just okay just say 50 feet of water 50 feet high 50 feet high and if I'm looking at a wall of water on both sides of me and I'm walking through it, I'm never going to, I'm never going to doubt anything ever again. Well, here's the thing. And I, I think this, this high, cause they saw multiple miracles that, and that was an extreme one, but they saw multiple miracles and that proves that you're not waiting for one more miracle before you'll believe and obey. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because you haven't seen sufficient, su- sufficient miracles from the most high. It's because your heart. Right. It's because your heart won't let you obey yeah. because you don't want to. Yes. That's the issue. I think sometimes 
looking at this individually, our own sin and our own fleshly inability to obey the law has become our giant in the land of Canaan. I'm like the, the giant, I'm like a grasshopper and it's like, I can't possibly obey that law. I can't possibly obey those commandments. I can't possibly obey the Father's expectations. You have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. Yes. You have the infinite spirit of the living God dwelling in you. Don't tell me it's impossible. It's not. It's not impossible. We fight against it. Our flesh wars against us, and it is a battle. I will grant you that. It's a battle. But it's not one that he can't win for you if yes. you give the battle over to him. Absolutely. I think that's, that's sort of the application that I want to make here, is that mm-hmm. when we focus on our inability, our personal inabilities, those inabilities become a giant yep. in our sight. And we need to focus on the problem solver, yes. the one that can lead us to obey him, the one that can lead us to respond to those convictions the way he wants us to respond to those convictions. It's not impossible. Theology has lied to you. Mm-hmm. It is not impossible to obey him if you truly have the spirit of the living God, because nothing is impossible for him. You know, Carl, I'd like to add to that. <clears throat> As we were talking, I was looking through some verses that I'd highlighted here recently, this one was a couple of days ago. It's from the ESV. It's Matthew nineteen twenty six. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Mm-hmm. Now that's from obviously the New Covenant, but it, I think it's important here to show that man can't do anything. Bottom line. We can't, never have been able to, we never will be able to. We'd like to puff ourselves up and say, hey, look at all this we've done. But regardless of what's happened, it's all come from the most high, bottom line. Uh Caleb didn't, didn't rise up. He didn't get up and say, everybody, quiet down for a second. Come over here to the war table. I I drafted up this really awesome strategic plan. Yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, these cities are pretty, they're, they're, they're really well fortified and there's giants, but I've got this brilliant plan. I've been reading a lot of Sun Tzu recently, and I've got this really brilliant military <laughs> plan that we're going to be able to, re- to, to capture. That's not what war. he said. No, he, there was no art of war yet. Well, yeah. whatever. But that's just, just saying for context. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, he, maybe he was a prophet. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> he was seeing into the future. What I'm saying, he didn't, he didn't draft some perfect plan. Yeah. on how they were going to be able to, to accomplish some military victory. He said, we have the living God marching ahead of us. Hmm. What's a giant? Yes. What's Nothing. a giant? Yeah, I'm a grasshopper in his sight. Guess what he is in the most high sight? A gnat. A gnat at best. Yeah. He's nothing in the sight of the most high. It doesn't matter what I look like to that giant. All that matters is what he looks like to God. I mean, he just took out part of the armies of the Pharaoh, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were chasing them down and took them out. And that's why you see their mindset never really changed. Yeah. I mean, they were constantly, you see that over and over and over again through that, even through all the miracles and the crossing of the Red Sea. Well, you brought us into this desert to die. You brought us in this desert to die. Why are we out here to die? Yeah. We have no food, so we're just going to die here in the wilderness. We have no water. The water's bitter. We're going to die so- out here in the wilderness. You know, Moses has gone too long up on the mountain. We don't know if he's ever coming back. Yeah, so he must build, be dead. He must be dead. We're going to build this calf. I mean, they're, they're all throughout, you see that mindset. And even, you know, here, so it's no different. It wasn't probably hard for the 10 spies to rabble rouse no. the crowd. How long was against, he How long was he up there? 40 days. Yeah. 40 days. 
So in 40 and he days, he was up and down multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like we have sort of a, and we can get into that another time. Yeah. But I actually kind of want to get into a series where we go from like Exodus 19 through 29. Mm. But yeah, he, he went up and down Mount Sinai multiple times. Okay. So, but there like was he, a period he, where he was just, gone for weeks during one period. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like in that amount of time, they lose faith. They lose, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. It wasn't long enough that they should have forgotten the miracles they just right. saw. Right. Yeah. For but, and that's the thing. Like I look at it as people that, that have faith, that people that have trust and you know, it's, it's a day by day basis. You know, you, maybe it's not, we're not having the faith to go conquer cities but we're having enough faith to conquer our battles, mm-hmm. our days, what God puts in front of us. And kind of, I think I look at this as not everybody, I don't know if I should say this that way. Not everybody can be saved. But there might be some out there that are. And if you're talking one in a million, okay, that's good enough. That's good enough for me. I mean, if God's going to do what he does, and, you know, that's like these four men go into this situation, God's going to end up battling for all of them, even if they don't believe. You know what I mean? Maybe that for that brief minute again, whenever he ends up, because I don't know the story. I've never went through this story, but like you said something about the plague, like he kills the 10. Yeah. We'll see that in a second. And let me, before you finish your thought, let's, let's read a few verses further because we see okay. consequence here. Cause that's the next thing I wanted to get into is there, there, when you rebel repeatedly like this against the most high, there are consequences and there, right. there is discipline. We see that because he, he doesn't, after this, he doesn't fight for them. That's why I wanted to, to say this before you continue. It says in verse 11, this is after the, the he, he, his presence appears th- th- at the tabernacle and he stops the stoning. And it says this, And Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Starting to wipe them out. Starting to wipe them out and then rebuild a new nation out of Moses. But then he says this, or then it says this, verse 13. But Moses said to Yahweh, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength, you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Yahweh, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Yahweh, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night, which means that it wasn't just the Israelites that saw this. The, the pagan peoples in the surrounding regions could see this too. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because Yahweh could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. 
I'm going to stop there because I want to, I want to get into something in the next couple of verses that connects to the new covenant. But you see Moses' heart here too. He's concerned with the fame of the Most High. And I'm sure he, he, I actually don't want to make assumptions about that. It, it seems like his heart is uniformly focused on magnifying the name of the Most High and what wiping those people out would do to his fame as far as how the, the peoples and the surrounding nations would perceive it. Because I think he has a heart that he understands that the goal is to bring all peoples into covenant with the Most High. And Moses is concerned that it would make him look weak. I think that's what, though he knows he's not weak, that's not what I'm saying. I think he's concerned with the, what you mentioned, Micah, perception. Yep. He's concerned with what the perception would be if the Most High destroyed the people and then took a few more generations to build up another nation again to reconquer Canaan. And I, you know, I don't, I don't believe the Most High changes his mind. He's always sovereign. Could be that the Most High said this to test Moses to see what was in his heart, to see how Moses would see, respond, even, in the, even in the midst of this adversity. Because he already knew what he would do. Mm-hmm. You know, God definitely doesn't need a PR man. No, he does not. No, he absolutely does not. But that's, that just goes to show the, the faith, the, the reliance, the knowing that God will, will do wonders with wicked, nasty, hurtful people. Yeah. And knowing that people can change, understand you where you are. Understanding that people just they need the right. Sometimes people don't need a miracle. Sometimes people need to just be shown compassion, love. They don't. They might see a miracle and not believe it. There's there's a different heart change whenever you're shown compassion, love, understanding, and hey, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to be who you are, but just know that God will end up changing you. God will end up showing you a way. I think Moses understood that. Mm-hmm. I think he understood that these people are they're lost, but Yet, I mean, they're they're in a wilderness, and they just came out of a crazy situation. They've seen a bunch of stuff, but you know, we kill them, we have to start over into a new date, you know, into a new generation, and who knows what that's going to bring? <laughs> you know, could be worse. Could be worse than what what we got now. No, I just kind of thought that people do need a desperate, they desperately need a heart transformation. Yeah. We talked about that a lot in the last episode. We need heart surgery. The, the problem with the people here was their heart condition. And it's that they, they weren't even willing to change. And I, I think it's, it always has to start with willingness. I can't, I can't stress that word enough for him to move in and transform your heart. You have to be willing and not rebellious. And and these people were, it, it uses the word multiple times, they were rebellious. They were rebelling against him. And he recognized that. And he gave them multiple opportunities to show willingness to change. Now, this isn't the first instance where they rebelled. Mm-mm. Like he says, 10 times. This is like the 10th time they've done it at this point. And this isn't the last time they will. They'll do it again. 
You know, they, they, they rebel consistently and repeatedly against him. And at some point you have to have a willingness to change. There has to be a willingness to change. And if that willingness doesn't come, then, then consequences can come out of that. And, and we're not going to get into all of that, but the, the, the spoiler alert is he doesn't allow them to enter Canaan. He doesn't allow this generation. Like the consequence that he brings upon the people here is that the only, the only two out of this entire generation that would enter into Canaan would be Joshua and Caleb. He'd give them supernatural longevity of life and everyone else would die. He, he promised that the, the curse that would fall upon the people, the 10 spies would die immediately. Right then and there, they had a plague and they died. The rest of the people would fall dead at early ages throughout their wilderness journey for 40 years. So he told them to turn around, walk away. You're not going to enter into Canaan. They actually try. They try to take it back and say, oh, no, we'll enter. Sorry, we'll invade. And they get beaten bad because the Most High isn't with them. Like Caleb said, we can enter, Can we can enter Canaan if the Most High is with us, but don't rebel. Don't do this. Don't rebel. Well, they rebel. And then they try to take it back and, and repent. And although I believe at a soul level, repentance is still optional at that, that physical level for taking Canaan, they weren't allowed to, to get that back mm. and they get expelled. They get expelled. And all of the people of that generation die without ever seeing the, the land flowing with milk and honey. So there are consequences when we do rebel. And I think that's important to, to take that to heart as well, that it's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he doesn't care about you. It's not that he doesn't want you back. But sometimes we do have to walk through the, the consequences. We see that with the people here. We see that with the house of David, right? When, when he sins, then, then, then war enters, enter, enters his house, strife enters his household. He has to walk through those consequences. He was still saved. We're going to see David in the kingdom of heaven. But there were consequences for a sin. Right. Moses was allowed to see it before he died, though, wasn't he? With his eyes, but he With wasn't allowed to enter in. Right. Mm -hmm. Aaron wasn't allowed to do either. Aaron died before Moses. There were pretty severe consequences for Aaron. Well, the whole calf thing kind of threw Aaron. And that's another example. Moses and Aaron, we know we're going to see them in heaven, right? For sure, Moses. You know, Moses and Aaron. Let's just say both. God loved them both. We're going to see them both in heaven, but we have, there's no doubt whatsoever that Moses is going to be there. But Moses had consequences. Moses wasn't allowed to enter Canaan either. Right. You know, the great Moses, he was, he was cursed to die before entering Canaan because he rebelled against the Most High. Right? There are consequences. Even when you're, even when you're a, a, a great man of God like Moses, there can be consequences for sinning against him. And that's not just an old covenant thing. Sure. You mentioned the new covenant. I want to connect this because we're running kind of long and I kind of want to wrap it up, but I do want to, I want to skip down and, and show what he says about, about Caleb one more time, because Yahweh took notice of Caleb. He saw what Caleb did and there are consequences for standing up to. That's why I wanted to, I wanted to point that out. Also on the other end of that, there are positive consequences. Even when you're an imperfect person, like I know Caleb was, when you stand up, for the most high and trust, there are positive consequences for that. So it says in verse 22, this is the most high, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. That's important too. They heard the voice with their own ears. It's not just that they, they, they read words on a page. They heard him speak supernaturally from the, from the cloud. 
they heard him speak and they still disobeyed. So there's, 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 there's some reasons why the consequences for these people are so harsh because they saw his miracles. They saw the signs. They saw his presence on a daily basis. And they actually heard his voice give commands and days later rebelled. So there's a reason the consequences are maybe more harsh for them than you would see with some other people that rebel maybe in a similar way, but don't have access to the same circumstances that they had access to, but there's still consequences. Okay, verse 23, they shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. I love the meaning of the name Caleb. There's a little... There's a little theological debate on what it means. Like some claim that it means dog because of, of its link to a Hebrew word, Caleb, but it's a different word. So I don't, I, I reject that. I, I don't think that's accurate. Typically, when you look up Caleb, you'll see that it means devotion, but it's a really cool word. It's actually a compound. And I believe that this compound is where we get the, the meaning of devotion. So the Hebrew word cal means whole and the Hebrew word leb means heart. And when you put that together and form the word Caleb, it says whole heart. That's exactly what Caleb showed the most high. Was he perfect? No, nobody is. But you know what he did? He gave the most high his whole heart. He gave his whole heart to the most high. And that's what he's calling us to do. When we, when we look at the teachings that we've looked at with, with Jesus and the foundation he wants us to build upon, you know what he's really asking us to do? What the starting point is, the first step is, is give him your whole heart. Mm-hmm. That's what he's asking for. Give him your whole heart. I want to read one thing real quick and connect this, and we'll go into our final thought. So, backing up to verse eighteen, this was that prayer, finishing that prayer that Moses was 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 giving to the Most High on behalf of the people. It says in verse eighteen, "The Lord is slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness." Even in the midst of this, now what's awesome here is he's praying this on behalf of a people that literally just tried to murder him, and he still nice. prays this. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generations. It's a strange phrase, and it, it tripped me up for a long, long time. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but not clearing the guilty. How do you forgive iniquity and not clear the guilty? Like that always tripped me up. It just seems like a contradiction, right? It seems like it's a contradiction in terms. Forgiving iniquity, not clearing the guilty. Well, you didn't forgive the iniquity then. If you're not clearing the guilty, it just, I always struggled with that until I dug into what it says next and made a connection. Verse 19, pardon, I pray the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Yahweh says, said, I have pardoned, pardoned them according to your word. So according to what you just said, Moses, is what he's saying, I have pardoned them. The word pardon is the same Hebrew word in both. Before I say what that is, I want to look at something from Jeremiah to connect this to the new covenant that you mentioned. And really what this whole study series has been about, the foundations of the new covenant. So one of the most famous prophecies about the new covenant is from Jeremiah chapter 31. It's usually the go-to. I wanted to dig into Ezekiel chapter 36 last week because I think it's, it, it, it really defines it a little bit more specifically. But Jeremiah 31 is probably the more famous 
account of this. And it says this, it's in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. It says, behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice who is with Israel and Judah. Talked about that in episode, in episode in part two or three that we're grafted in. The new covenant is for the people group of Israel. We're grafted into that. Verse 32, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So he's hearkening back to this event we just read about. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Again, it's with the house of Israel after those days. This is new covenant context. I will put my law, my Torah, my commandments, my instructions. That's all that ever means. When you come to the Hebrew word Torah, he's talking about the law he gave at Sinai. I will put my Torah within them and on their heart, I will write it. This is an agreement with what Ezekiel chapter 36 tells us, that the spirit comes in and leads us to obey the law. The law is written on our heart. We don't. We don't have tablets of stone anymore. We have a heart, and that's where it's written. This is in agreement with everything that we read from Jesus. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they will all know me. This is why I mentioned that the, old, the, the new covenant is being, being unveiled, because everything about the new covenant that's been prophesied hasn't occurred yet, because we still teach our neighbor. We're not living in a world where everyone knows him and there's no need for teachers. This is yet future, what he's talking about. So it's a combination of, of things that have already happened, that have already been revealed to us, and things that are being revealed to us. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. I will forgive their iniquity. In the Hebrew, it's the same word translated as pardon from that reference I just read from Numbers, okay? It's the same word. So when it says, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, back in Numbers chapter 14, it's that same Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word salak, salak. And it's a pretty rare word. It doesn't occur super frequently in the text. What's interesting about it, though, is it's only ever applied to the Most High. The only one who ever offers salak, that form of forgiveness, that form of pardoning, because there's different forms of it. The only one who ever offers salak is the most high. Humans can't offer salak to another. And what it literally means is to take a debt and not waive it, but defer it. So you take the debt that's owed on one person and you move it to another. And then we come back to what he said that always tripped me up there in verse 18 forgiving iniquity and transgression, but not clearing the guilty. He's not just snapping his fingers and vanishing our sin debt. He's deferring it. And where did he defer it in the new covenant? Jesus. Jesus. He didn't take the, the, the guilt that was on our head from our sin against his law and just cause it to vanish away. He could have. He's powerful enough to, but he's holy. That's his nature, like you said, Micah, in a, a, a week ago. His nature is holiness. He won't do that. So what's the solution? He loves us. 
He's abundant in loving kindness. Moses understood that. He sees us as children even when we rebel. Ezekiel saw that. He doesn't desire to lose us. He desires everyone to come to repentance. Peter saw that. So what's the solution? If he's a holy God and demands that we be holy as he is holy, but we're not, we've fallen. We've incurred sin debt on our head and that debt demands death. What's the solution? To salak it, to defer it, to take it off our head and put it on the head of the only one that could carry it for all of us. And we see that pictured <laughs> in one of the greatest acts of rebellion scripture ever records. This was stunning to me. One of the greatest acts of rebellion ever recorded in scripture, what the people did here. And that's when we have this prophecy about him taking our sin debt and removing it and putting it on Jesus. Because the context are the people rebelling here. It's powerful stuff. Wow. And we have a responsibility to take that seriously and not enter into his presence with arrogance. Yes. Like you said, Micah, we have to take it seriously. No, we're not perfect. No, we're not going to be perfect in this life, but we do have to strive. But I understand the foundation that we're putting ourselves on. Exactly right. Understand how he defines the foundation, how he defines the holiness, how he defines the expectation. We've got to stop twisting his words into a pretzel to justify our own sin nature because too often that's what theology does. Too often for centuries, that's what Christian theology has too often done is twisted his words into a pretzel to justify our sin nature and our, our proclivity to rebel. And we've got to stop doing that because he takes this seriously. There are consequences for this. Moses experienced those consequences himself. There are consequences when we twist things because that's what Moses did. By the way, spoiler alert, what his rebellion was, was he kind of sort of obeyed what the Most High told him to do, but he twisted it to his own ends to sort of magnify himself rather than magnify the name of the Most High. I don't think he did that with the intent of magnifying himself. He did it in anger. But he twisted the, the command that was given to him and obeyed it in a way that he wasn't told to do. <laughs> yeah. He twisted his words. And that's too often what we do. We twist his words to justify our own sin nature, to magnify our own sin nature, rather than magnifying the one who can conquer our sin nature and defer that guilt. That's what the devil did in the garden. That's exactly mm-hmm. what the devil did. Twisted the words of Christ. Yep. yep. Absolutely. No. Well, it wasn't even, did it in the wilderness too. I mean, yeah. he even yeah. did it with Jesus. It, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, if he's going to try it on Jesus, I mean, he was the only one that, be gone, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Do we do that? Not every day, but that's the power that we have within us to say that, though. Let's pull the needle off the record. Final thoughts. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> I did. I tried not to stare. You. I looked down. Uh, uh, I didn't want you to accuse me of staring at you. <laughs> um, this was a really good one. I uh, I did not study at all beforehand, and I think I got more out of it than I would have if I would have studied. Sometimes it works that way, you know. Um, because <clears throat> usually I'll you know stay up all night and and kind of go through it and skim through it. And then I'll have an idea of what's what and, 
truthfully, I think I learned more out of it not knowing because I didn't have a set preconception of what I thought. So, um, you know, the end of, I kind of, I don't like the end of it, the foundations going away because <laughs> I've kind of liked it. Um, you know, it, it's kind of set a, set a cornerstone for me. It said, Hey, you know, this is, this is where this lies. This is where you lie. This is where you have to stand on no matter what. And, you know, this whole, what was that word? The word that you just defined? Salak. Salak. You know, the sins being deferred or being put on and it even going back to the time of Moses. You know, that that's predated. That shows acknowledgement of knowing what's happening, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And I mean, I I put my I put my faith in the God, not just a God, not just a figment of imagination. Um, that's where I want my faith at. That's what I want my foundation to be on. Because if I'm just putting it on something that is a what if, I'm tired of what ifs. <laughs> I'm tired of them. Because I've, I've lived on what ifs for a long time. What if this would happen? What if this would happen? Well, what if? Well, God, here, it, it is. It is your will. It is what it is. Because I, I'm, I'm tired of trying to control it. I'm tired of trying to manipulate it or make it my way. Or you know, I just keep doing what I'm doing and have your way. So I've, I've really enjoyed Foundations. It's been good. When I think you really see that it's contrasted between Caleb and the people. I think the yeah. people were obsessed with the what if. They were obsessed with the problem. Caleb, man, there's no what if with Caleb. It was the most I made a promise, and I know he's real. Mm-hmm. And he's got my whole heart, and I don't care if you people kill me because yeah. I know where I'm going. Yeah, me, I think that was Caleb's mindset. I'm either going to go to the promised land in this life, or you're going to send me to the promised land and right, nice. right here and now. Either way, yeah. I'm going to be with the Eternal Father. Yep. Amen. The enemy will always use voices of negativity, voices of "I'm not worth it," "I can't do it," "I'm not good enough." Other people are better qualified for the ministry than I am. He will use all those voices to distract us from doing what God wants us to do. God's given us the plan. He's given us his word. He's given us the task to follow him. The challenge for us is, will we listen to the voices of negativity, the voices of the enemy, or will we listen to the voice of God? Will we be a Caleb and stand up for those truths? Because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
We're not too far gone. No one's too far gone. No one's too far straight away from him that he can't bring back to himself. And the devil will throw that in our minds. You're not good enough. You've strayed too far for the father. You strayed way outside the father's reach. And that is a lie of the devil. We're never too far out from him. Be a Caleb. The challenge for us today is be a Caleb. Stand for truth, even in the midst of no one else doing it, in the midst of a people that are crying negative negativity and crying for our death. Be a Caleb. Stand for truth. Yep. And know that even for those people, <laughs> that was good. Mic mic drop, drop. It. Yeah. For everybody that can't see, I should, I should went, yeah. <laughs> pull the mic off and drop it on the ground. I had to do it once. I do it every one. <laughs> and just know that even for those that, that, that are in that rebellion at the end of it, what is, what is the most high say after all of that? I will pardon them according to your word. Yes. I will pardon them according to your word. Amen. And have the heart of Moses that even when you're when you're when you're facing against people that are that wicked and that rebellious, to plead on their behalf, to have a heart that just desires mm-hmm. to see them softened. Yeah. That's got to be where we're at. That's what it looks like to see things the way he sees things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'd like to say I'm, I'm a bit of an awe because I learned a great deal on this entire series. I love Carl how you also bring the connections in the Bible that I've missed because I've read the whole Bible before. I'm in the process of doing it again. But uh, to see that connection, I've always said I'm a fan of the master plan. (laughs) Okay, I really am. You know, I think about the parting of the Red Sea and, you know, they walked across on dry land. Well, God put that dry land there long before he ever brought the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, it's, it, they, they've found the land bridge. It's there. But he put it there and then opened the water to it and dried it off so that his people could walk across. That's the master plan. And the master plan runs throughout the entire scripture. I, I don't understand how people can, if they're earnestly trying to learn God's will and understand his word, how anyone cannot understand that there is a master plan for your life. So I guess that's kind of where I'm at. I just kind of quiet this trip around. I'm just taking it all in and it's incredible. And if you haven't found Jesus in your life, please seek someone out that can help you understand how glorious it is to be in the presence of our Father. Mm. Amen. That's my final word. I debated on how to how to end this, and then I still don't really know how I want to end it. To be honest, you guys ever seen salmon when they're when they're when they're swimming upstream? Mm-hmm. Only on TV, and most of the time it's under plastic in the store. But anyway, they're not moving a whole lot then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's really cool when they're in their season. They'll go back to their spawning grounds and they'll 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 swim upstream. They'll fight against current. You'll you'll even see them like like swim up like little small waterfalls and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's really cool to watch it. I think that's the situation we're in. I think to borrow that as an analogy, the world, sin, Satan's plan for us. It's like a it's like a current. 
it's like we're in a current and the, the, the world is just pulling us to a waterfall with nothing but jagged rocks and death at the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And the most high is calling us by the strength that he gives us to fight against the current, yep. to swim against the current, to swim upstream. Because at the end of that, there's a, there's a, a, a still sea of, of goodness in his kingdom. Once we get through this current, but right now, while we're in this life, we're called to swim against the current. And as we do, we're called to, to yell out to the fish, just comfortably floating by that they need to swim against it too. Right. And that's what Caleb did. Caleb was willing to, to swim against the current, even if he was swimming alone. I don't think it mattered to him. And he was willing to, to raise his voice like Ezekiel and say, hey, <laughs> you need to swim against this current too, because it's not as hard as you think it is. When you have the strength given to you by the Most High, we can conquer the current. The current's not too big. The current's not too strong. The current's not too swift. He can conquer the current for us, and he can get us home. He can get us to the promised land of that, that lake on the other side of it. But we have got to trust him, and we have got to step out, and we've got to put forth some effort. We've got to put forth some effort. Yes. I really think that's where we're at. Too many believers are just floating by they're just floating by with no concern whatsoever for the waterfall that awaits them we have got to get over that we have got to we've got to stop our love obsession with comfort i think that's our biggest enemy in america in american christianity our greatest enemy the greatest weapon wielded against us is comfort it makes us soft it makes us unconcerned with his word, which ultimately leads to us being kind of wicked. Disconnected. Disconnected. We just, we, we paint it up with a form of righteousness, but there's no power in it. There's no power in it. We've got, we've got to reconnect with the foundation. We've got to reconnect with the chief cornerstone. We've got to align ourselves with that. And we've got to build this structure in the way that he tells us to build it. Because... I don't think we have time to play around anymore. I think the, the struggles that we're seeing, the fog that we're seeing is evidence that we're getting close to something. I don't know what, but I don't think we have time to play, play around anymore. Faith is not a game. It's not a game, and we need to start taking this life that he's given us to live, this holy life that he's asked us to live. We need to start taking it seriously and stop being arrogant with it and stop abusing his grace because, honestly, that's what we're doing. When we just float by, we're abusing his grace. He'll defer the debt. He loves us. But at some point, you know, if, if you have a credit card and you just cash, you just charge everything to it like nuts, just crazy, charge everything to it. And your dad comes along because he doesn't want you to lose everything and pays your credit card debt for you. Says, I'm going to keep paying it. At some point, you have to learn some sort of fiscal responsibility. And at some point, I would wager that your father's probably going to start disciplining you to teach you that fiscal responsibility. And I think that's sort of what we have painted for us with that word salak. When we sin, we incur debt on our credit card. Jesus offers to pay that debt for us. But at some point, we have to learn how to live more responsibly so that there's not debt being accrued to it constantly. So you think we're, we're approaching our credit limit? 
I don't. I, I mean, once you once you get to death and and you haven't repented, I would say that's your credit limit. But some I of, agree. Some of us are maxed out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think to, to to take that analogy a little further, yes, I think once you get to your credit limit, that's when you when you bring discipline into your life. He's going to discipline you. He is going to discipline you. You've got to receive the discipline. I don't know how many other ways I can say it. We've got to take it seriously, and we've got to we've got to get back to His Word. That's how I want to end it. We just. We need to take the way he defines the foundation seriously and not be concerned with what the majority says. We need to be like Caleb and be willing to stand against the majority if that's what it takes to align ourselves with the chief cornerstone because that, at the end of the day, is all that matters. God is not going to judge you based upon how well you conform with other believers. He's not going to judge you by the platform you had or by the followers you had or how popular you were. He's going to approach you and he's going to reward you based upon how committed you were to follow him out of a genuine heartfelt love for him. And only you can walk that walk for you. Your individual relationship with him, that's between you and him. No one else can walk that for you. Just take it seriously. And that is the end of the record. For those of you on the other side of the mic, I want to thank you for listening. I do pray that this was edifying for you, that it was encouraging, that it was received in love because it was spoken in love. This is not condemning or judgmental in any way, believe me, I have walked a very ugly road. I'll be honest, there are more times in my life that I've been like the million Israelites standing against Caleb than Caleb himself. I'm going to be transparent about that. And I know where it leads, and that's why I'm so passionate about encouraging others to avoid that road because I know the consequences for it. And I don't want anyone to suffer those consequences. I really don't. I just hope that this encouraged you to deepen your relationship with your Messiah, deepen your relationship with the Eternal Father, because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Dig into his word, pray, seek his face, inquire of him, listen. Spend as much time listening as you spend speaking. And hear what he says. Hear what he says and hear what he's telling you in your life and seek to apply it. Don't live somebody else's faith, live your faith in the way he tells you to live it. Let him define your faith for you according to his word. You have that word for a reason. Read it, dig into it, study it, and apply it. And know that he loves you. Know that no matter what you've done, he still says at the end of it, I pardon them according to your word. Because he does love you. He just wants you to love him back. Do that. Love him back. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, I encourage you to reach out to us. Or even if you just you just want to talk, you just need somebody to talk to, yeah. reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook at Broken Record Ministries in our Facebook group. You can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com, or you can find us here at Digging Deeper on Twitter. Our at handle is at DD by BRM. Again, this has been Digging Deeper, a publication of Broken Record Ministries, and we will catch you on the flip side. Shalom. See ya. The lashes on his back and was scared of death because he fought He's a king, he's coming back for righteous war to establish it. I'm a sheer, you my lord, I confess it. If I die in battle for you, that'd be a beautiful blessing. I got the fire in me, ain't no retiring. I'ma keep looking skyward while I shoot. It's the way that you hardwired me. Ain't either way, I know I'm hitting my target, a trade shooter. I know I'm just supposed to aim at the darkness. Stand against us if the Lord be for us, I'm ready.
You can tell that I'm already